Turn to the book of 1 John, chapter 5. Would you all like to hear part of next Sunday morning's message tonight? Just in case the... Uh, this is one of the illustrations, not the message. Uh, just in case the Lord comes back <clears throat> when we get to heaven, you can tell the people in our church who are in heaven who weren't here tonight. Oh, I don't have any idea. <clears throat> I'm in sales, not management. <clears throat> okay, world-renowned astrophysicist Robert Jastrow the founding director of NASA's Goddard Institute for Space Studies, is an atheist. This is a quote from his book, God and the Astronomers. He explains the fear of faith that many of today's scientists experience. Quote, there is a kind of religion in science. It is the religion of a person who believes there is order and harmony in the universe and every effect must have its cause. But there is no first cause. And what that means is there's no creator, no God. Okay? Let's continue. Quote, this religious faith of the scientists is violated by the discovery that the world had a beginning under conditions in which the known laws of physics are not valid and has a product and as a product of forces or circumstances we cannot discover when that happens the scientist has lost control if he really examined the implications he would be traumatized as usual when faced with trauma the mind reacts by ignoring the implications in science this is known as refusing to speculate or trivializing the origin of the world by calling it the big bang as if the universe were a firecracker Consider the enormity of the problem. Science has proven that the universe exploded into being at a certain moment. It asks, what cause produced this effect? Who or what put the matter and energy into the universe? Was the universe created out of nothing or was it gathered together out of pre-existing materials? And science cannot answer these questions. Now, Jastro continues, we would like to pursue that inquiry farther back in time, but the barrier to further progress seemed insurmountable. It's not a matter of another year, another decade of work, another measurement, or another theory. At this moment, it seems as though science will never be able to raise the... Lost a word. We'll never be able to raise the cup on the mystery of creation. End quote. The famed scientist's ultimate conclusion is astonishingly, astonishingly candid, particularly in light of his own professed agnosticism. Quote, For the science who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountain of ignorance. He is about to conquer its highest peak. As he pulls himself over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. End quote. That's what he wrote. And he's exactly right. Not just a band of theologians, a bunch of not highly educated folks who just believe the Bible. We've been sitting there 
on the top of the mountain of ignorance all these years. We conquered it because we believed what God said. He was the only eyewitness. Why wouldn't he know? Anyhow, that's for next Sunday morning's message. Just something to chew on during the week. First John chapter 5. We closed last Wednesday night with verse 12. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. And his name is what? Jesus. Now, just a note, this isn't part of the message, it's just a little side note. The, uh, the rabbi of Israel who died two years ago, uh, who or three years ago, who, who wrote a piece of pa- on a piece of paper, uh, I have discovered the name of the Messiah, and folded it up and said, this is not to be opened until a year after my death. Okay? So he's been dead three years. So they, un- they opened this thing two years ago. What it said was, <clears throat> the Messiah's name is Yeshua. Okay? In English. Joshua, in Greek, Jesus, okay? Created great controversy in Egypt, I mean in Israel, because their their chief rabbi for the past 20, 30 years, who's now dead and can't answer any questions, has said he knows the name of the Messiah and his name is Jesus, okay? In that same thing, he wrote... Messiah will not come to the earth until after the death of Ariel Sharon. Guess who died last week? Ariel Sharon. Laid in a coma for eight years and died this past week. Okay? You say, Brother Casey, so you think Jesus is coming back? I thought it before all that. Okay? I just think it's interesting that all these things kind of tie together. Okay, now back to the message. That you may believe on the name of the Son of God, and his name is what? Jesus. Okay? Yeshua in Hebrew. This is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Now, I've preached on that passage before several times. I'm not going to repeat that message tonight. Other than to say that... The last part, the last phrase of last half of verse 14 and verse 15 are inseparably linked together. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of him. So we can pray with confidence as long as we know we're praying in the will of God. You say, so how do you know the will of God? Well, often I just ask him. You know, God, what's your will in this matter? What's your will for, uh, for this situation? What's your will for me in this particular uh, area? What's your will? And when he shows me his will, then I know exactly how to pray. If he's not shown me his will, then I go ahead and express my personal opinion. Lord, this is what I want you to do. 
But he understands that that is from my perspective. That is from my side. Here's this incredible tapestry that God is, is making with our lives. Okay? And I only see it from the underside where I am. I don't see it from God's side. So we, when he puts in a few black threads, I look up and, oh, oh, Lord, that looks so dark. But I don't know how it looks from the upper side. I don't know what he's doing up there. So I go ahead and tell him, Lord, this is what I would like to see happen, but I want your will to be done. You say, can you do that, Brother Casey? Jesus did it in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But it wasn't possible. So he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that, we hear, that he hears us, then we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. So what if it doesn't work out exactly like I was expecting it to? Praise God. He heard my prayer and he answered according to his will. That's why he says, in everything, give thanks. Because we don't know what God's doing on the other side. We don't know how he's working in other people's lives. Verse 16. If any man see his brother sin a sin, which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. A lot of controversy about this verse. Look at the next verse. All unrighteousness is sin. And there is a sin not unto death. So what is this sin unto death? I asked that question one time and a guy said, Oh, that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. No, that's the unpardonable sin. Okay? That's the sin that God will not forgive. When the Holy Spirit comes to you and offers you salvation through Jesus Christ and you say, No, I can make it on my own, that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And you're not getting saved. Nobody gets to heaven because they're good enough. Because nobody's perfect and perfection is the standard. Nobody gets to heaven because they, they worked hard enough or because they did uh, this for God or did that for God. No, we go to heaven only on the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ when he took our sin in his own body and suffered death on Calvary for us. Three days later, God proved his acceptance of Christ's payment for our sin and raised him from the dead. That's how we know our sins are forgiven. Jesus is alive again. That's pretty exciting. Do you know that's the gospel? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the gospel. And that's how people get saved. That's what Paul said. This is how people get saved. Do you believe the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the scriptures? That's pretty simple. But, there is a sin unto death for the believer. Look at this. If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. 
So the sin that is not unto death is committed by a believer, a Christian. Okay? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we never sinned again after we got saved? Wow. That'd be so sweet. We'll never have to apologize again. You will never have to acknowledge to God that we need Him. But I need Him desperately. Every moment of every day. We wouldn't have to explain to the angels when we get to heaven how we could take somebody who loved us that much and just do things that fly in the face of righteousness. Because we think it's okay. You say, wait a minute, what do you mean explain to the angels when we get to heaven? Scripture talks about it. The angels desire to look into our salvation. They're watching. They're watching us. Protecting us often. Doing their best. Keep us out of trouble. But it is very difficult for them to understand because they know the face of God. Because they know God so intimately. It is very difficult for them to understand how we can live like we live. As though God's word doesn't matter. How we can have his word available to us. And day after day, week after week, not get into it to see what God has to say to us. I mean, God's word contains the mystery of success and prosperity. Tells you how to be prosperous. That's pretty incredible. Tells you where to make your investments. Tells you we need to invest long term. You know, 100 years down the road, 10,000 years down the road, 10 million years down the road. We sing songs like Brother Everett's favorite song, When the Roll is Called Up Yonder, I'll Be There. You know? And we talk about living in heaven. The Bible doesn't say that. Do you know that? The Bible does not say we will live in heaven. We'll be there seven years. We'll be there for the judgment, where the, we call it the judgment, actually it's the trophy, the awards banquet, <laughs> where the crowns are given out for people's service to God with the right motives, right attitude. And then we'll be there for the marriage supper of the Lamb. Whoa, that's going to be cool. And then we're coming back to this earth. We're going to rule and reign with him for a thousand years. At the end of that thousand years, all of the dead, all of the lost, are going to be judged, cast into the lake of fire. The devil and his angels cast into the lake of fire. And then God wipes all tears from our eyes. And he creates a new heaven, new atmosphere, and a new earth. Perhaps a whole new universe. I don't know. But we're going to live with him here forever. That's going to be cool. I mean, have you seen the Grand Canyon? One time in my life. And I saw it from the north rim, which is up above 8,000 feet elevation. 
South Rim is 5,000 feet above sea level elevation. Okay? And the Grand Canyon is a mile deep, so I'd say 5, over 5,000 feet elevation. And you, so you get to the South Rim and you look down, and it's a mile to the bottom. From the North Rim, you look down, and it's a mile and a half to the bottom. Very, very impressive. Because you don't see it until you get to it. I mean, you come up on the North Rim, and it is said that the four conquistadors who discovered the Grand Canyon were riding across the plains, and all of a sudden they saw an opening, and they began to to, uh, stop their horses and allowed their horses to walk, walk up to the edge and could not believe what they had seen. I mean, I just opens up in the ground. So incredible. The new heaven going to be even sweeter than that. These incredible waterfalls all over the world. Oh, man. You know, the desert right after a spring rain. Flowers everywhere. Been waiting 10, 12, 15 years to bloom. Rains, poof. They all bloom. Incredible. And all the new animals and the new, I mean, I just, I get very impatient. I, I can hardly wait. It's going to be so much fun. But there's a sin unto death. I would like to live without sinning. I would like to live without ever disappointing my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But I don't do it. And the fact that you all don't either isn't a lot of comfort to me. I'll go ahead and tell you. In fact, those people who live more righteously than I do kind of irritate me. How can they do it when I can't? But you know what? It's based on decisions, choices. It's all based on choices. Our whole life is made up of a series of choices. If you see a brother sin a sin that is not unto death, pray for him. And God shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. What's the sin unto death? It's not the unpardonable sin. There's a couple of examples in Scripture of the sin unto death. One of the most famous is found in Acts chapter 5. You want to see it? Acts chapter 5. Again in verse 1. Well, beginning in chapter 4, verse 36. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite from the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the the apostles' feet. Chapter 5. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price. His wife also being privy in it, privy to it, excuse me, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. And Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thy heart to lie to the Holy Ghost 
and to keep back part of the price of the land. While it remained, was it not your own? After it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived in thine heart, conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. Young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him. About the space of three hours later, when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in, and Peter answered unto her and said, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that thou hast agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in, you could put in there, came back in, and found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. Was that a sin unto death? Sure. Absolutely. What was the sin? They just lied to God. They thought they were just lying to Peter and the church. But they didn't understand that this is the church of God. In the house of God. And that day they were meeting out in the courtyard of the temple. Or in somebody's home. Now we meet in a building. And we call the building our church, but it's not the church. It's the people that are the church. Okay? And she, they came in and they wanted to look good. They wanted to look better than they actually were. Would it have made any difference to anybody in the congregation if they had come in and said, hey, we sold this piece of property or we sold this possession. Uh, it was worth 10000 We got 10000 and we brought 5000 to the church. Wouldn't have mattered. They'd say, we sold this, uh, this little trinket and, and we got a dollar for it and we brought 50 cents to the church. Would anybody have thought less of them because they kept back 50 cents? No, it was their money. Money that God had entrusted to them. But they wanted the people to think that as God's money managers, they were doing a lot better with God's money than what they were. So they came in and they said, well, this is, this is what we got for the land, or the possession, whatever it was. And it wasn't. And Peter, recognizing that, so how do you know? I don't know. Any number of ways. I think perhaps the Holy Spirit just told him, hey, <clears throat> you're fixing to get lied to. <laughs> you know? Or maybe that he heard on the street, hey, Ananias and Sapphira sold this possession, and do you hear what they got for it? Man, they got this much. Whatever it was, however he knew, he knew. And they come in, Ananias comes in, and Peter says, how come you... Lied to the Holy Spirit about how much you got. And then Ananias fell down dead. It's interesting in Scripture that often the first mention, the first mention of a thing illustrates the, the seriousness that God places on it. In the Old Testament, we see a young man who went out and gathered up sticks so his mom could make him some food on the Sabbath day. Moses had already given them the law, and they had all said, We, we will keep the law. We agree to the covenant. 
And so people saw him get, carrying sticks back into the camp. And somebody came and told Moses and said, this kid's working on Sabbath day, gathering up sticks. Moses said, okay, let's put him in the tent. I'll ask God what to do about it. He asked God, and God said, stone him to death. He violated the law. Another time, two guys are fighting, and one of them, in a fit of anger, takes God's name in vain, curses in God's name while he's pounding on this other guy. And everybody jumped back, whoa. They took him to Moses. Moses said, put him in the tent, watch him. I'll ask God what to do about it. God came back and said, stone him to death. I've already said, I will not hold him guiltless that takes my name in vain. Whoa. Sin unto death. New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It is not the necessarily the sin that is the sin unto death. I mean, you can't name a specific sin so that we could avoid that. Verse 23, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do, you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Does that mean they were hibernating? No, it means they were dead. The reason he used the word sleep is because they were believers. When Paul talks about death for believers, it's always those that sleep in Jesus. First Thessalonians chapter 4. They that sleep in Jesus. Here he says, many sleep, a sin unto death, taking the Lord's Supper carelessly, unworthily, in an unworthy manner, fighting over who gets the most, who gets the first part, who gets to go first. Dumb stuff. Sin unto death. So it's not a specific sin. So then, Brother Casey, how do you explain it? This is my opinion. I think I can back it up with Scripture, but I don't have the Scripture available tonight in my mind to be able to share it with you. But here's, So here's my opinion. Take it or leave it. It won't matter to me. My opinion is that the Holy Spirit comes to an individual and begins to deal with that individual about a particular subject and ask that individual to confess and repent. 
to confess and repent. Just to turn from the sin, say what God has to say about it. That's what confession is. And then turn back to Jesus and begin to follow him. And there comes a point in that person's life where the Holy Spirit says, I'm done. I'm done. We find that also illustrated in the Old Testament. God said if a couple has a rebellious son who won't honor his father and mother, and he makes a continual practice of his rebellion, his disobedience, they're there to bring him before the elders of the people. Present their case. And if the elders of the people agree that he is a rebellious son, then take him outside the camp and stone him to death. So if I'm disobedient to my heavenly father, and I don't obey him, and I'm rebellious against him, and he sends his sweet Holy Spirit to deal with my heart over and over and over again. Sends other believers to speak to me. And I reject them. There comes a time when in the life of this believer, and I think the lives of every believer, if we live that way, when the Holy Spirit comes in and says, that's it, you've crossed the line. Time's up. That is a sin unto death. And John says, I don't say you ought to pray for them. (laughs) There's nothing you can do. God's not going to change his mind about it. I could offer several anecdotal illustrations. Let me offer just one. 1950s. Yeah, I know. Back in the old days, teenage boy got a new got a, got a motorcycle. I said new new motorcycle, but it wasn't new. Just new to him. And his mother was concerned because the kind of guys that rode motorcycles in their particular little farming community was uh, <clears throat> they didn't have the best reputation in town. See. When her son got his new motorcycle, he quit going to church with her. She'd say, okay, it's time for church. And, she, and he'd say, no, I'm not going. I'm going motorcycle riding with my buddies. And they'd ride around the countryside, you know, ride down the creek, go swimming, ride to the next town, just see what's going on. One night they're coming back, and they rode past the church. And as they rode past the church, this kid, in order to show off for his friends, revved his motorcycle up. Went squalling tires down past the church. Turned around the end of the block and came back. Squalling tires down the end of the block. <clears throat> when church was out that night, his mother came uh, home and he finally came in and she said, uh, he said somebody was riding their motorcycles very, very loudly past the church, disrupting the service. Do you know anything about that? He said, what if I do? And she said, well, we stopped and prayed for the guys that were doing it and asked God to soften their hearts and help them to repent. And he looked at her and said, Mom, 
Not only was it the group of guys I was with, it was me. And I'll do it anytime I want to. A couple of days later, he's riding his motorcycle down the road. For some reason, that motorcycle got away from him. Flew him through a barbed wire fence. Took his head off when he hit the barbed wire. I cannot stand here tonight and say positively that that was a sin unto death. But it was a sin that resulted in death. Sure sounds like it to me. And my heart goes out to people, especially young men, because I used to be one. goes out to young men who think that they can ignore God. They can reject God. They can rebel against God. When they had proper training. I mean, they, they had proper instruction. They know what's right. And they just choose not to do it. Because there is a sin unto death. We don't know when a person commits that sin. And if you see a brother commit a sin that's not unto death, pray for him and God will give you life. Give him life. And so, don't quit praying. That's what I'm telling you. Don't quit praying. Let God work. Give God time to work. You see, my mom said one time, you can run from God. You can run from your parents. But you can never outrun the prayer of your parents. And that didn't impress me any until I was in college and began writing in a ride-along program with Chattanooga Police Department. This guy comes flying by us one night on Ringo Road. And a police officer I was riding with turned on his lights and his sirens and pulled out. And I said, are you going to catch him? He said, I won't have to. Reached down and picked up his radio. We got there after he got caught, but we weren't the ones that caught him. No, See, that radio traveled faster than the kid in the, in the car. And there were other officers who just happened to show up at a particular intersection at a particular time, had their cars across the road, and they are just, you know, it wasn't like the movies where the guy <clears throat> busts through the cars and goes flying over all the traffic and all that. No, uh-uh. Nope. <clears throat> they got him. Your kids can't outrun your prayers either. Keep praying. Keep praying. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for your precious word. Thank you for the fact that when we don't know your will, we can pray and ask your will to be done and have confidence that you've heard us and you'll do what we ask for. Lord, thank you for the responsibility and the privilege we have of praying for others. Brothers, sisters, brothers and sisters in Christ. For our own children, for the children of others. Lord, help us to recognize what an incredible ministry that is. And help us to be faithful in it. 
Dismiss us with your love. Bring us back safely on Wednesday night and again next Sunday. We pray for your soon return. But dear Lord, if it doesn't come this week, help us to be found faithful when you do come. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen.